my name's Adrian Goldberg and welcome to the Byline Times podcast. The Byline Times telling you what the papers don't say and what telly doesn't tell you. This time, reaction to the Daniel Morgan report. An independent panel chaired by Baroness Nula O'Lone has finally published its findings after an eight-year investigation into the circumstances surrounding Daniel's unsolved murder outside a South London pub in 1987. Its key finding is a momentous one, identifying institutional corruption at the heart of Britain's most powerful police force, the Met, just as Sir William Macpherson had identified institutional racism in the same force in 1999 when he examined the Stephen Lawrence murder inquiry. Daniel was a private investigator whose company, Southern Investigations, had close links to newspapers, including Rupert Murdoch's News of the World. It's a tale of police corruption, media interference and political intrigue. You can listen to previous episodes of this podcast where we explain more about the history of the case and carry an in-depth interview with Alistair Morgan, Daniel's brother, who has fought for justice for 34 years. This week, though, we're getting more or less instant reaction to the report from Byline TV with Alistair, who you'll hear from shortly, and his partner, Kirstine Knight. First, though, Byline Times editor Hardeep Matharu and Peter Jukes, whose podcast about the case, Untold, has had 9 million downloads. Like everything we do at Byline, Byline TV doesn't have a media mogul or corporate backer behind it. It relies on people like you, so please support its Patreon appeal. Just put Byline TV Patreon into your search engine. Right then, over to Peter. Hardy, you were there yesterday with me. We were locked into this room at 9.15 and these three volumes came out mm. and we had a couple of hours to read them before the chair of the panel, Bar- Baroness Nuda alone spoke and so did the family. But you're fairly new to this story. I've been working on it maybe 10 years, obviously the family for 34 years. What was yesterday like for you? Well, I think it was quite a momentous day for the country, to be honest. So in terms of that report, the panel said that they went through 110,000 documents containing over a million pages, and it had taken the panel eight years, 34 years since the murder of Daniel Morgan, which remains unsolved, no one's ever been convicted, £16 million. Just for this panel report, that's not the other investigations. And the conclusion is the Metropolitan Police is institutionally corrupt in terms of how it protects its own reputation rather than the transparency it offers around its culture and its practices and corrupt police officers. And the report made clear that, you know, this rotten apple approach towards the Met Police is is a complete fallacy. It is systemic failure on many levels. And the panel said it's not historic. This is something that is currently a problem for the Met Police. It's the largest force in the United Kingdom. It's London's police force, but it also has a number of national level powers. And it was a a sort of a landmark moment. And what was interesting was the chair of the panel when asked said, is this equivalent in importance, this finding, as the 1999 McPherson inquiry finding of institutional racism within the police, which we know, of course, was as a result of the Stephen Lawrence murder. And she said, yes, this is a really serious problem. So that was a very 
interesting development, I think, in, police, in terms of policing in this country and the repercussions that it has, that we've now moved from institutional racism, we've now moved to something, you know, arguably more wide ranging, which is institutional corruption. And for me, I thought the Met Police response was completely staggering. So very sort of quickly afterwards, we went, to a uh, press we went to a press conference, which was given by the assistant commissioner, not Cresta Dick, the, the Met Police commissioner herself. And he said, well, according to what I see every day on the job, as it were, I, see, I, I kind of see the opposite. I don't really see institutional corruption within the Met Police day to day. And he also said something which was quite uh, sort of odd, I thought, which was, he said, well, this is a new term that's been coined. People aren't are familiar with it. Obviously, you know, we will have to read the report and look at what these assertions are based upon. And I think the third point I'd come to really is a wider point about the state. So you have this report, which is saying institutional corruption. Almost immediately, the Met Police is saying, no, we don't really recognize that. We don't recognize that. And if there is anything, it was sort of historic Mm. in the 70s and 80s, dodgy cops moved on from that quite a lot. And I'm sure there have been developments, but a notion that no, there isn't, this problem isn't, isn't really a thing. And I think it raises really sort of significant questions about the British state. You know, why is Britain a country that is so bad at turning the mirror on itself and and facing up to its systemic issues? Well, the subtitle for this show was, Is Britain Institutionally Mm. Corrupt? And we shall talk to Alistair and Kirstine about that very, very shortly. One thought I had, though, when I heard that, you know, bad apple theory, Mm. is it was very much like, you know, I'm a good guy. He spoke in this management speak. F, F, this is the assistant commissioner, yes. Nick F. Grave. F. F. Grave. I'm a good person. I see good people around them. And I have a reverse theory. It's the good apple theory. Like It's like, well, all I see is good apples. But the tree's broken and corrupt and about mm. to fall down. But it's got one good apple. And it's this misunderstanding, isn't it, which we'll talk about with Alistair and Christine. Institutional corruption isn't about removing the commissioner or there's a good person or a bad person or we're honourable chaps, a bit like the government, but we're good government. It's about the dysfunction within the system itself. I think that's was I think that's a wider point, isn't it? That's what you've been sort of mm. you discovered, especially your work on empire, mm. your work on racism, that in a way, you know, this inability to face up to the truth about ourselves. Yeah, and power, you know, and how do we confront power in this country? Where does it really lie? You know, what do we do? when it is corrupting the very functions of the state, when it's leaving people without justice, when it's ruining people's lives, when it's potentially allowing a private detective to be murdered, uh, you know, in a pub car park with an axe. Well, more than that, allowing his detective agency to be taken over Mm. and be used in the words of the panel report, and they're quite strong on that as a hub Mm. of corruption. One just one thing before we chat to Alistair and Kirstine is is very. I mean, you've written obviously you've done your podcast uh, on this very subject, but you also wrote uh, "Who Killed Daniel Morgan," a book about the case with Alistair Morgan. And one of the things that I found really striking about it was uh, towards the end of the book, you sort of explore why it's taken so, why it's never been forthcoming in this case, uh, this finding of institutional corruption or. Uh, you know, why the police, the Met Police has never wanted to really admit, uh, acknowledge that there may be corruption which goes beyond a few bad apples. And it was really interesting that you observed that actually that is just such a big thing for the police and the state and the government to take on. So whereas 
institutional racism uh, was a landmark that we reached, perhaps that was in a way something that was more feasible to deal with than saying that the very function of the Met Police is completely undermined, that it is in some way it's, it's corrupt within itself. It's just too big well, a concept for the state to take on. Well, Raju Bhatt, the family's lawyer, made the very good point. There's no hierarchy of sickness. But in a way, mm. institutional corruption, you know, racism is a form of corruption, which would affect people of colour in cases against them. If it's institutionally corrupt, there's no candour, there's no truth, then the criminal justice system falls apart because mm. it relies on honest police officers giving evidence in court against alleged criminals. And so I think it does. I think it affects its core function in a much more devastating way and therefore is more difficult to accept than racism on its own. And I think as we'll discuss, explore and discover later, this is endemic throughout Britain, whether it's in Parliament hmm. about you know, ministerial code, you know, contracts. So but before we get there, should we just have a look and see what the panel actually said? So we'll see now the panel chair, Abanis alone followed by the response of Rajubad, the family's lawyer. The family of Daniel Morgan has suffered grievously as a consequence of the failure to bring his murderer or murderers to justice, the unwarranted assurances which they were given, the misinformation which was put into the public domain, and the denial of failings in the investigation, including failings to, failings to acknowledge professional incompetence, individuals' venal behavior, and managerial and organizational failures. We believe that concealing or denying failings for the sake of an organization's public image is dishonesty on the part of the organization for reputational benefit. This constitutes a form of institutional corruption. As Daniel's family, we became aware of the police corruption at the heart of this matter within three weeks of the murder. We said so then, and we have, we have had to say so repeatedly over the decades since the murder. Through those decades, we had to engage in public protests, meetings with police officers at the highest ranks, lobbying of politicians and pleas to the media. At almost every step, we found ourselves lied to, fobbed off, bullied, degraded, and let down time and time again. What we were required to endure was nothing less than torture, and that has changed our relationship with this country forever. And now we're joined by Alistair Morgan and his partner, Kirsty Knight, who have been dedicated to getting justice for Daniel Morgan for the past 34 years. Thank you both for being here mm -hmm. with us tonight. How are you feeling today? Uh, Relieved, I suppose, is one one of the emotions. Relieved, I feel that I feel vindicated to a large extent, uh, which is a huge relief. Um, and also, I can feel that this is something that's quite historic. That what we've done with this, um, or let's say, what the panel have, have done here, and. Uh, I've been listening most of today to comments about from from the police. Mm. I, I heard an interview with Lord Blair earlier on the radio, and uh, I'm pondering the reactions of of 
the police in particular to this um, accusation or this finding yeah. finding of institutional corruption and I think what they what they're getting uh, very should we say upset about is that their conce their conception of corruption is very very narrow you know it's brown envelopes etc et that kind of thing and the panel panel's interpretation of corruption is well I mean if you take the police's uh, foundation you know uh, policing by consent mm. and the constable's oath to police without fear or favor uh, dishonesty is a direct perversion mm. of that purpose mm. and uh, dishonesty is something that we've experienced from the police over decades. Were you expecting that finding of institutional corruption? I was hoping for it. Mm. I was hoping for it because let's not forget that here we had a a, a, a brutal murder in which there was an allegation of police involvement. Mm. In my view, a perfectly credible and uh, what's the word? A credible, a mm. credible allegation of police involvement. Now, when this, and I'll add here that there was a prescient element to the allegation. Mm. In other words, well, which I won't go into here for legal reasons because it's a difficult and tricky area. And but there, th this was a very, very serious uh, mm. allegation. In other words, that there was police involvement in a brutal contract murder mm. by all to all by all accounts. And I mean, something is extremely. It's hard to imagine anything more serious than that. And then juxtaposed with that very serious allegation, we have a. A, an inquiry, an initial inquiry, which is so important that is derided almost by the panel. It was so pathetic. Various aspects were described as pathetic, mm. incompetent, etc., etc. And then prior, uh, uh, in the course of this um, investigation, there was an internal inquiry which whitewashed it, an mm. internal mm. Met inquiry, followed by an outside inquiry, so uh, supposedly independent by another police force, mm. which also whitewashed this inquiry, whitewashed the first inquiry. Now, for many, many years afterwards, this was the basis on which the police commented on the case, you know. The Hampshire inquiry said it was, a, I don't know the word, I can't remember the words, but vigorous and thorough and honest and all these sort of complimentary adjectives were used about it, uh, which were completely false, mm. as, as yeah. was the internal mm. inquiry. And so you Com knew, in terms of, as a family, very quickly after Daniel's murder, that this was an institutional systemic problems were apparent that this wasn't just uh, you know a bit of incompetence no, a bit of a bungled no. investigation or two no. it, this was systemic and so why do you and I'll ask you as well Peter I mean why do you think then it's taken the Metropolitan Police so long on this this systemic point that it's systemically there is corruption 
Paddy, before you get to that, just to explain about, I think, the independence. I think because, like Alistair and ourselves, we've probably read less of the report than most people yeah, because we've yeah. been locked in studios and doing articles. Um, I think it's pretty clear cut on those early findings, right? They have said they have found no evidence of involvement in the murder itself. Yeah, of police involvement. Of police involvement in the actual planning, if you like, of the murder. I mean, this stuff we can talk around that. And, but the second thing they, they do say then that, that there was a lot of incompetence, but they do indicate that corruption, a particular mm. involvement of a detective, could have tended to make that inquiry mm. not work. But the clear finding I think I've read is that it turned out the independent Hampshire investigation, the PCA, Police Complaints Authority, wasn't independent because the liaison officer from the Met was running things. I don't know if you can't. No, absolutely, and it goes far beyond that. I mean, there was basically collusion in, I mean, it's very complicated and we need to absorb the details of this fully, but one of the su suspects that was arrested, though, was completely not guilty, was brought in for slightly strange reasons. But this person knew a lot about the murder and had actually said to one of the officers while he was in the cell that he was happy to talk to them sort of confidentially about a firm within the firm and he had knew much more about the involvement. That piece of information was never followed up. It was never put into the Holmes system. But they know from finding notebooks that it was known about and nothing was done about it. And that was about police corruption. So in or police the, involvement in the murder. Yeah. So the firm, just to explain to people, the, the firm within a firm, that's the old sort of yeah. term for a corrupt network of officers. Um, so that I, so I ha even I haven't thought. No, that. and the reason I'm not explaining it very well is it is very complicated, and we need to sit down and mm. properly read that line by line. But as you say, because we've just been doing so many interviews. Just, just, just on that too, I mean, you know, it's very difficult. Police involved in the murder. What Alistair's talking about is the inquest, aren't you? Where it was alleged. Well, prior to this, the statement was made uh, probably six months before the inquest. That's right, and of a bookkeeper who was, mm. you know, closely uh, involved with the company. Closely yeah. involved with the company, spoke to members of the company, and said the murder's being planned, and the local police officers yeah. will help clear it up. So, but that is quite difficult, isn't it? Is that involvement in the actual murder or providing the course of justice afterwards? So. So I, I find in some of their decisions, I have to read it to understand where they come yeah. from. Mm. So that, that's the first two ones, just to, to clarify that thing. So, but it's a, we're, we're finding out new things all the time. Mm. I mean, the Met response has been eye-opening. And I mean, a lot of people have commented that it reinforces the very findings of the report because one, Cressida Dick has not been forthcoming. Mm. Um, I don't know whether she's reached out to yourselves. No, they keep talking well, about having apologised to us. Well, she has apologised. Well, I heard today, I heard earlier today, I was told by a journalist that she'd apologised. Yes, but that's how we hear about it, yeah, is through yeah. a journalist. <laughs> yeah. Not, no, well, not I, actually to Alistair. That is staggering again. Or the wider no. family. But the Assistant Commissioner, I mean, the press conference we attended uh, shortly after the report's release, I mean, Nick... F grade was saying that, you know, based on what he sees every day in his job, yeah. he sees the opposite. You know, lots of officers out there 
being selfless and that institutional corruption well, isn't something that resonates with him. Well, nobody's I mean, arguing that there are lots of great exactly. officers. No, no, no. I, 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 I am convinced, right, that there are many, many thousands of police officers in this country who, who are very brave, diligent, courageous, and straight, no, no corruption. And I've never, ever thought otherwise, you know. But, and, and Nick Effgrave may well be right in the fact that he, you know, this is what he sees. But that and the kind of corruption that we've seen here are they're very separate things, you know. It's not like, I mean, if it does affect these officers, this, this, uh, it's the leadership. It's mm. the, it's the fact that they, like the thing that they brought up in line of duty, where people are allowed to, mm. uh, if you like, where corruption is allowed to prosper by the, sen by the senior ranks. And I think this case. It's a question of leadership that has been lacking right from the very start. Mm. I mean, you had this very, very serious situation where I, which I described earlier. Now, any sane uh, commissioner would be thinking, we have to clear this up. We, if we want to draw a line in the sand against corruption, this is so serious that it has to be dealt with. We cannot, we've got no choice. But then what do you get? A pitiful. Inquiry. Also, that that whole problem is, you know, if you have a wound and it's corrupt, you have a, and you just gloss over it. Yeah. Oh, it's all fine. Then it really festers and involves the system. So, I mean, just the difference of corruption is, Alice says, the brown envelopes. Or, I mean, you know, by the nineties, they they mentioned ten officers in and out of southern investigations, all done for quite serious crimes. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about fitting up people with drugs. We're talking taking money. You know, really serious crimes done by officers around that. And then you have this other bit where they won't look at it. Now, some of that, I think, is just embarrassment, isn't it? You know, oh, gosh, we haven't talked about that. But some of it's shady. I mean, the other bit, I, I still haven't read, but I went to Operation Two Bridges Nigeria, and I thought, where's this section? That's the third investigation conducted by the Anti-Corruption Command, CIB3, their ghost squad, famously very like line of duty. Mm. There's nothing on that. Well, and It's just like, it doesn't happen. One thing I don't think has really been picked up by the press yet, and I have yet to read it in the report, but I know from, we both know yeah. from long talking to the panel about this, we were totally misled. And you will see lots of clippings everywhere talking about five murder investigations. Yeah. Well, that's what we thought, five yeah. murder investigations. It was not. That's wrong. That wasn't a murder That wasn't a murder no. investigation. But you were told it was? We, we were, were told. told it was, quite clearly. And I'm sure there is a particular officer that is criticised um, in that report for... Misleading us. Willfully yeah. misleading. I mean, I've got all the notes um, mm. from those meetings with them about what we were told. And it was that it was a murder investigation. But it never was. It, it just never was. No. But to, if I'm right, that sort of in, intelligence gathering... Mm sort of operation it had a it, get, it revealed a lot of criminality because yeah. was going on in and around southern investigations and i think having come to this story relatively recently one of the things that is just so chilling to me is that it's not just about policing it's about the whole criminal justice system where you've got a situation where you know private detectives and police officers mm. former police officers uh, getting involved in prosecutions and talking to judges and tampering tampering with witnesses that's not that's 
that's the whole criminal justice system and potentially being compromised. I don't know if this is explored in the report, but certainly my feeling, and I think Alistair's as well, is around what was going on in third mer- I was going to Operation say, I was going to say murder investigation, but of course now we know it wasn't. That, and you're right, some very good information did come out about that. But I've always wondered, at least, if the motivation at that time for finding out about that corruption was actually because the stories at that time that Southern investigations were selling to the press were very often about police corruption, is whether they were that they had become at that point so much of a thorn in the Met's side that what the motive may have been for that investigation was not to solve the murder, as we know now, it wasn't a murder investigation, but to shut Southern investigations uh, down. It would make sense mm. very much that John, Sir John Stevens was the commander, he's just John Stevens at that time. Mm. I think he was a deputy assistant. Well, mm. I'm not sure if he was the actual commissioner at that point. And he writes about this phase, yeah. Operation Nigeria, Two Bridges, where they put a bug in. Mm. So boasts about it. Uh, and then, weirdly, and he has criticised the report for this and recommendations made about senior officers, goes to work with its main employer, Southern Investigations News of the World. It's a very, you're right, it's like there's some almost damage. That's what I feel about the 90s, when you get to, it's called Operational Thone and all that scoping out, they try another major anti-corruption push, don't they? They're kind of, they're investigating it, but kind of to turn it around, not get rid it's of it. It's corruption management. Yes, exactly. And, and that's the kind of corruption. Mm. We're talking about sort of rotten apples and many good policemen as well. Do you want to touch a bit on Dave Cook, who, against my knowledge, was put in charge of the, what would you call it now, the third and fourth, fourth investigations? Fifth. Fourth and fifth. Well, not anymore. Not anymore. No, no. no you've got to the change your number. management needs to be taken into account. Of course, into account. F- uh, third and fourth. It, and they call it Morgan <laughs> 2, part one and two. Mm. Yeah, it, it all gets very yeah. confusing. Now, so he was someone who... I'm sure everyone knows the story, but he was originally brought on, he was fronting a crime crime watch, sort of appeal for more information, but then he actually became involved in the investigations. Mm. He himself and his wife, uh, surveillance vans were sent to camped outside, following them around. They were hacked. Uh, The phone hacking was going on, which is linked to news to the world. How do you feel about how he has come out in this report and I mean, do you? It seems like the panel is saying that even if it's sort of for a noble cause, he was also sort of doing things that came under being corrupt. I mean, but you've also said he's the only officer that you ever really trusted. Yeah, I mean, obviously, having described my own view of the first two investigations, uh, laughable, well, not laughable, the very opposite, in fact, but I mean, pathetic. Uh, uh, corrupt whitewashing, yeah? Mm. Um, internal and external whitewashing. Uh, when I remember, where, you know, in our conversations with the police, where we, we you know, our, obviously our biggest concern in this was police involvement, you know? Mm. Uh, a terrifying thought that, you know, my brother had been assassinated with the help of the British state, or a, you know, a, a member, if you like, of the or an official of the British state. Um, oh, sorry. sorry. D- Dave Cook was a breath of yeah. Fresh Dave air. was a breath of fresh air because we could actually talk about 
our feelings and our fears and our suspicions and the reasons why we held these suspicions with him. And he was not like, you know, prior to this, for God knows how long, 15 years, it was, oh, what? Police involvement? Or, no, I mean, uh, they recoiled whenever you used the C, yeah. corruption word. And it was the same with my mother. You know, we got this, you know, you're crazy. Or not, it, not those weren't, words weren't used, but it was, mm. are you crazy? You know what I mean? Or, oh, let's not talk about that, you know. And then they'd start trying to point the finger at other people and all that. Whereas our, uh, you know, most most worst case scenario and the most fearful for us was that the, the, the police were involved in the murder. Mm. And um, and it changed when Dave Cook came along and it was like, oh my God, thank God for that. We can actually express our feelings and our anxieties and our fears openly without being ridiculed or rejected or, you know. And he would quite often disagree with you and say, no, this isn't realistic, Alistair, and this is why. But it was the first time, with the exception, we should say there was an officer before called David Zinzan, who was also very reasonable, thoughtful, and did his best, and he deserves credit. But Dave Cook really did t take it on. He'd seen corruption um, in, the, in the police before, and he was not allergic to the idea. So that yeah. was very different. There was no that, that, that sort of attitude. Corruption, no such thing. You know that that's the sort of yeah. attitude that has sort of radiated out from the Metropolitan Police. And and Peter, you, what exactly? Just yeah. take us through very quickly. What happened in terms of Dave Cook? I mean, there was this intimidation by News of the World, but what happened afterwards? And there was some it's, it's allegations just, it, that he had had inappropriate contact with a witness. And so, so there's a very interesting, and there is criticism of the senior officers managing. Because he was, had another job, I think, at Soka, didn't he? So he basically is the front man for a covert operation run by Zinza. Uh, and he immediately gets targeted. This, because of the situation, with a family situation, his wife, Jackie Haynes, also a police officer, crime watch presenter, had been close to Jill Dando, who'd been assassinated, mm. it looks like, on her doorstep three years before. The, the threats to the family were very severe. I mean, they felt them very strongly. You know, they knew, it's like, you know, follow, if you know you're being followed by a photographer, that's one thing. When you think, when you know there are t very bad gangsters, murderers involved in this case, and there's threats, you know, police corruption yeah. involved, it came on very top. Mm -hmm. It did, you know, I think Dave's talked about it, Jackie Ames has certainly talked about it, destroy their marriage. And so there is a duty of care that met towards Dave Cook that he does take over and he does a scoping exercise for London, the Metropolitan Police Authority, and they go, we can build another case of that. And it's a very complicated case. He's directly confronted with a shotgun at one point. Mm. Um, and they are arrested, five suspects, in 2008. And things do go wrong. There's no doubt, and Dave Cooper, the first to admit, he gets too close to a super grass. I mean, quite how the fence knew what they knew and why the phone records don't mm. show what they show. But I, I still think, i just say one thing. I am in this report for three pages because Dave Cook was, after the trial collapsed, I think um, with other journalists, he felt had a duty of candor to the public to get some of this out. I am of a mind, there's like 20, I don't know, a whole half volume about him. Mm. The suggestions he's part of that noble corruption, noble court. He was off the right, he did things wrong, right? 
But I find it amazing they put that in the same framework of the things they don't investigate about news of the world. We don't have Levison to. We know that the Mirror Group, for example, of 261 crimes they detected in the six months they had to bug in, 70% were from the Mirror. That's all just said there. Dave Cook gets this whole section about him and what he did wrong and talking to journalists like me and Glenn Campbell of the BBC and whether they should be prosecuted for that. I will say now here, I don't. this is my opinion, as Christine might not agree with from what I know about Dave Cook and how he's helped journalists for the public interest, this panel wouldn't have existed without him. Mm. Mm. I'm not sure. I mean, I know, I know, I believe Dave Cook played a significant role in exposing the phone hacking scandal. And I never, when I, let me say, I never ever felt in my communications with him that there was any things shifty or dishonest or uh, manipulative about him at all. So I think it's a, a great shame. And the way he was treated, you know, there was this awful uh, incident that you just described, the surveillance and, and all of that. And it was just like the Met uh, uh, hang him out, you know, just isolated mm. him. Oh, in fact, it wasn't even investigated. No, it wasn't mm. investigated. But he wasn't what? repeatedly in oh, investigating yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, various yeah. and things. I think that's another strand of convenience now I am not going to defend everything Dave Cook did and I do genuinely believe in his case everything he did he did in what he thought to be the best way of, or the only way of advancing justice but you have to be very careful in defending noble corruption more widely because very often, people, you can argue that, yeah. that officers that fit, fitted up black people with drugs thought that they were doing the right thing. They think that that is the guilty person, so I am going to fit them up. And that is the greater right. good. And, and that can't be tolerated. I need to read the report, the fine details on the relationship with the media, and I'm being biased here as a journalist, I think to criminalise all leaking to journalists would be worrying because leaking can be in the greater good as well. But I need to read the details on what they're saying about that. And obviously, if someone's doing it for money or for a book deal, that puts a more questionable spin. Right, just so I, I, I have to declare, because I can't, you know, of, because uh, I'm yeah, in that report, I've never mentioned of money when Dave Cook has helped, like, you know, and mm. not from this case. This is all after he's left the force, all after things mm. collapse, things like the Mazuma Mood uh, documentation, never any question mm. of, of money. But I find that just very odd. I and mean, maybe it's just the limits of the remit of the panel that there is a whole half volume on him and very little mm. on news of the world. It's quite a philosophical. Well, it, yeah. it, it's partly practical. Yeah. They can get documents and people would speak to them. Dave Cook would speak to them. I'm sure Alex Marinchak and other journalists did not. And it's, it's really interesting that point you just made, Kirsten, because it is it's quite a philosophical point, really, you know, that mm. noble cause corruption is still corruption. Mm. And yet, again, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because obviously there's been institutional corruption for so long that. It's about weighing yeah, it's, the proportion of yeah, I think the thing is, I'm, I don't, I'm not making a judgment of what he did wrong with the supergrass or anything like that. You know. 
there are some misrepresentations when the, why the trial collapsed. It's more the activities afterwards mm. when he's left, which seem to be a whole half volume. And, and that does seem disproportionate. But also, you're right, in the limit of the remit of the panel, because they mm. had no that. Alistair and Christine were hoping for Leviton too, weren't you? Mm. Which did have the Inquiries Act behind yeah. it and did have by I would have found out a lot more about journalists and uh, investigation. And was part of the decision-making process when we were, when the panel system was offered to us by the Home Secretary, Theresa May, and whether we should continue to battle for a judicial inquiry. One of the big reasons you went for this interview Ironically, now after eight years, is this was the panel was thought to be a lot quicker than the judicial inquiry. But also, it, we knew that with the panel, we would lose the powers of the judicial inquiry had, and therefore they wouldn't be properly able to investigate the media side of this. So, can I just clarify this? Because I did have a brief debate with David Allen Green about this. You know, he said, "Oh, well, this was always seen as a substitute." For Leveson too, but that was never in your mind. No. It was quite the opposite. No, 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 no. no, no. We, we, I mean, the the, the Prime Minister uh, Cam, uh, Cameron had promised mm. Leveson too, and in my mind, when I thought about the uh, media criminality surrounding, you know, all you know, all infusing in this case, uh, I thought, well, a the panel lacks statutory powers, but. Leveson too will have statutory powers, and if there are any outstanding issues, important issues, that the panel can't get to, then boom, Leveson too will be there to pick mm. up the pieces and Therefore make sense of Therefore, part of your it. decision for it, yeah, accepting that was part the panel of my inquiry, and the panel meant that you know witnesses can't be compelled to give yeah, evidence. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And I remember writing to to Theresa May about this. That my disappointment when um, was it Matt Hancock? Mm. Matt Hancock mm. was in charge mm. of uh, yeah. and, and said that Lord Justice Leveson had agreed that there oh. shouldn't be when he had not. Which is something pretty to tell the Home Secretary. It's repeated today, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yes, this yeah. week in response to, to the report. What do you um, call institutional corruption? <laughs> it, it, you know, the same kind of thing, lying. So lying. that's interesting, was, isn't it? Yeah. That, that's what we've. You felt this a bit, you know, this, I mean, the duty of candour, when you put it down to being honest, makes much more sense. It sounds like otherwise a bit. But that's why I see this spreading throughout the whole state, like the ministerial yeah. code, lying in parliament, you no, know, was, contracts. Yeah, I was going, going to ask, I mean, to what extent is Britain still an imperial Britain? I mean, when mm -hmm. I ask that question, what's your response to that? My response to that is that I think they, the, 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 the police, uh, police's actions in this case are a kind of imperialist type action. You know, uh, I remember hearing a black QC talking about this at a meeting I went to several years ago, and he was saying that because we don't have any colonies anymore, the police use the same. You know, they use a, We are now the subjects of uh, Im Im imperialist policing, a kind of mindset where oh, we can't let the natives know that, you know, that would be bad. You know, any kind of uh, misdeeds by the imperial state, you know, oh, we can't let them know about that, or crimes, if you like. 
that sort of thing. You know, it wouldn't be good for them to know about this. Mm. And that, I think that that mentality is still there. You so know. The or the public yeah. must know about it. You know, this, this particular case, you know, the lying that went on about it, misleading, misleading ministers, misleading MPs, misle I mean, first and foremost us, but then even misleading Parliament, you know, where a minister would stand up and say, uh, the commissioner tells me that the first inquiry was up to the standards of the day and the Hampshire inquiry found this, this and this, you know. Rubbish, complete rubbish being pumped into our parliamentary system. It's all predicated on power that is unaccountable. Yeah. You know. and, yeah. But it also kind of suits whichever government is in power at the time. Mm. They were being told what they wanted to hear and it isn't in their interest to dig too much deep, deeper. Because there is this sense among the police and government that somehow the country would collapse <laughs> if we admitted that not all our institutions were perfect and that mistakes were made. This is all it would have taken. Didn't yeah. Bernus alone say something like that? We're not very good admitting where we go wrong. But yeah. I, my question to you, because I mean, I, you know, before I met Alistair, I had a slightly rosier idea of the police. Yeah, yeah. I'd worked uh, a lot on cop shows, you know, but mainly outside, outside London Force. And it's kind of sort of slightly jaded my opinion there. But I'll have this existential problem. Isn't the Met, that's its thing, that it's a local constabulary with all that sort of powers to policing by consent and you know, without fear or favour, the constable's vow. But because it also works at the Home Office, it's a form of the FBI. It's a national force. Mm. It was sent up to police the minor strike and on overtime and has these powers like counter-terrorism and uh, undercover and things like that, that, that it's too convenient an unaccountable arm of the state. Because, you know, you know, Home Office, you just you know, use the Met for whatever you want. Mm. They even label, well, they all like this sort of dual nature of it, but that's the nature of its actual existential corruption because it's it's not what it pretends to be. And people, people often, you know, we talk about we're having more conversations about empire in this country now, and people often say well, one of the good things is that the British took law and order to these countries, but <laughs> law and order was often used as a tool to control populations. And I think, you know, yesterday, I, I thought it was, it was a landmark moment. And I think one of the things that was in the back of my mind was, why do more people not know about Operation Legacy, which was the state-sanctioned burning, uh, putting into the bottom of, of the sea, uh, getting rid of, shredding of many, many of the documents from our former colonies as they mm. gained independence. That was all, all of that paperwork was destroyed because the government said, we can't have anything embarrassing ever emerging about this. And in that sense, what has really moved on, you know? Yeah, but it, exactly. it's really interesting. In that sense, there really are great similarities because I think a lot of about this is about the state not being able to look at its own image honestly. This sense of British police, the greatest police in the world. And I'm not saying it's a bad police force, but it, it's this illusion that it's the greatest, and the inability to question when things go wrong. I think, yeah, I think as well, you know, I mean, that kind of propaganda image of Britain, you know, world beat, we've had it recently, you know, world mm. beating, mm. world beating. And I mean, Britain 
is very very good at certain things some some of the things that you know for example the production of vaccine you know very very top class scientists and things like that and but you know that we're this sort of uh, idea that we're the best in the world at everything is the kind of idea that the particularly the um, global britain all of these kind of images you know which are deceptive you know at, at the moment we're we're the only we're the only country probably g7 country that's got a free trade area smaller than our own borders now, <laughs> as, a, as a result i mean that is comical <laughs> you know you have to laugh at that, that. you have to laugh at that so there's I, a deception in the at the heart hmm. of the state yeah. about itself yeah, yeah. 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 failure to confront reality and this is the appeal of our current prime minister, who I think comes out of this corruption. Not only did he comment mm. uh, about phone hacking, saying it's cooked up left-wing codswallop, but he has been backed by those very papers who stopped Levinson yeah. too. He's their mates; they back him. Those three key paper groups, and so and they all. Here's a great story of English exceptions, you know. And mm. we are great at creating stories mm. and hiding the truth by those stories. You know, and and, and, and until we wake up and. Meeting Alistair for the first time was like meeting the ancient mariner. You know? <laughs> he stoppeth one of three, yeah. three, and he starts telling this story of this sort of amazing story, yeah. which is you know, unbelievable and, and 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 difficult to follow. And uh, but we, you know, it, it, I, I much prefer that. You know, reality is the two pills, isn't it? It's mm -hmm. the red pill, the blue. Would you like to live in the illusion of this Great Britain yeah. with nice Dixon of dot green coppers, or will you take? Um, I think it's the red pill and see the reality. Mm. These guys are the red pill. I think yeah. There's a, there's another saying. It's better to be uh, slapped by the truth than kissed by a lie. You know, that's another kind of expression. It's going to come another Alistair Morgan meme. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us this mm -hmm. evening, and well done. Thank <laughs> you, know, you very much. The Metropolitan Police has institutional corruption. That is a landmark yeah. moment. Quite so, and you know, we wouldn't have that without your dedication. So, you know, it's very inspiring. Thank you very much. Mm. And very moving. Very moving. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Alistair Morgan. And we will continue to explore the Daniel Morgan story and its myriad ramifications through our various Byline outlets. Thanks to Byline TV for sharing their audio. And don't forget to support them if you can. Just put Byline TV patreon into your search engine and that'll take you where you need to go i'm adrian goldberg and this has been the byline times podcast we'll be back next week thanks for listening bye <laughs>